Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Philip Markle. Pumped full of cum. Pumped full of cum. You're going to get pumped full of cum. <laughs> that and more. But before that, I just wanted to say, you know, there's a lot of people who work for risk. You know, we have to scout for storytellers. We have to help those storytellers workshop their stories. We need people to do the audio editing of those stories and people to set up our live show dates, run our website, land our advertisers, run our storytelling workshops. <laughs> the list goes on and on. Just answering emails here is a job in and of itself. And we're an indie operation. We don't have the big, big resources of a corporation behind us. And that's why it's so important to us. That's why we're so grateful for the support of people who love Risk over at patreon.com slash risk, where we have so much bonus content waiting for you. Over 150 bonus stories, over 60 check-ins, and just the knowledge that you're helping to keep this show running and making it possible for us to finally uh, debut our next podcast series we still don't have a launch date for that <laughs> but it is gonna happen not to mention the new tour dates that we're putting together we're getting on the road again and some of the social things that we want to start making happen amongst our friends so we have big plans and in order to make it all happen, we do need the help of the folks who love the show. So that is over at patreon.com slash risk. And if you want to make a one-time donation, that is at paypal.me slash risk show. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Mop Mop behind me now. And we are calling this week's episode Disarray. Folks, uh, if you haven't done it yet, you know you can vote for your favorite stories from the past six months or so for the next Best of Risk episode. If you just go to risk-show.com slash best of risk find a little survey there with brief synopses of 20 25 stories uh, that you might remember from the past six months and vote and uh, we'll take that into consideration when we put together the best of risk episode 
That'll be the 23rd one of those. And we always recommend that if people are new to the show, listening to a few best of Risk episodes is a great way to get to know it. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear a story from Ethan Suplee. Um, he has one hell of a resume. Uh, he's been in The Wolf of Wall Street, Twin Peaks, the Santa Clarita Diet. I mean, the list just goes on. But before that, we're going to hear this amazing story by Philip Markle that was told at the, uh, well, a recent Risk Live show at Caveat in New York City. You can find Philip at philipmarkle.com. And here he is now with a story we call The Horse Fair. Do you want the red blindfold or the white blindfold? said the bouncer wearing assless chaps to me in Berlin at the horse fair, the craziest, sexiest, scariest sex party I have ever been to in my life. The first question he asked me was, have you read Zafak? I had read the frequently asked questions. When my friend Daniel Nardiccio, a notorious king of sleaze nightlife promoter here in New York, told me all about this party, he said, Philip, you're going to Berlin. You've got to know about the horse fair, Horsfuchsdichtenmarkt, in which you decide you're either a stallion or a mare. If you're a mare, you show up early, get a bag put over your head, and you are fucked by anonymous stallion dick for six hours. If you choose a red blindfold, it means bareback. White for condom. It's a great time. You gotta check it out. Um, I was in Berlin to teach improvisational comedy. That is as lame as that sounds. Uh, at a festival called literally Das Improv Fest, which is as on the nose as it gets. Um, I was sitting at a beer garden with three of my New York comedy girls, and I bring up the horse fair in kind of a like, oh my God, isn't Berlin crazy? Can you even believe sort of way? And I Google it and realize it's actually the next day. To which they respond by yes anding, saying, pumped full of cum, pumped full of cum, you're going to get pumped full of cum. I'm like, no, girl, I didn't bring this up. But when in Berlin do as the Berliners do? If I'm being honest, I talk a big talk. I've been to Burning Man six times, which is the devil's number. And, uh, you know, but like when it comes to my, my day-to-day life, when I'm not in a foreign country, my sex life is pretty vanilla. Like, I've done the occasional choking or spanking or been forced to listen to a Tenacious D album against my will. But like, you know, it's, it's really rare that I actually engage in kink. Like, you would only know it if you happen to be in my Google Chrome incognito browser with the VPN and then you seal it. I'm like, I'm looking at some like really fucked up shit. Like, when I have that post-nut clarity after you come, and I learned that phrase, by the way, with a bunch of straight bros on a bachelor party the other day, post-nut clarity, noun. Use it in a sentence. Um, but, you know, I'm like, I'm watching BDSM, I'm watching prison porn, I'm watching Master Slave, so I'm like, is this actually my chance to have a real-life experience of that? The next day, I show up at the Kit Kat Club, like from the movie, at 5.30 p.m. on a blazing hot Saturday in Berlin. Uh, in the line is a cotiterary of characters. There's like the 65-year-old bald guy wearing all leather studded head to toe. And then there's this guy that I meet, Eric, who looks like, you know, an accountant that just got out of work. And sure enough, I ask him, like, what's your deal? And he says, oh, you know, I'm a financier Monday to Friday, but on the weekends I like to party and have a little play. I'm like, whoa, that's work-life balance. <laughs> And I bum a cigarette from him and we're chatting it up. But soon enough, this kind of like gloom like over, 
overwhelms everything and like everyone gets really apprehensive as we start going into the club and I start getting really nervous. I get to the bouncer, I follow through, I get a white blindfold because I don't know about you, I'm on prep, but there's a lot of other horsey STDs you can catch, so... I've got that. He asks for my clothes and he puts them in a trash bag with the number 49 on it and then writes that number on my arm. I mean, setting off all the Jewish alarms in my brain. And I go down. I'm naked except for tube socks, which I read online in the fact you can keep your poppers and lube in. And I'm losing my fucking mind, right? And then I'm gifted. I'm gifted by the best gift you could ever give someone. Okay, look, if I'm ever nervous, please don't tell me, it's going to be all right, or you'll get through it, kid. No, what I need is you to tell me that I'm a piece of shit loser and to slap my ass out of it, which is exactly who I met behind the bar. I get the sassy gay bartender. Yay! We love... I walk up and he says, okay, where are you from? And I'm like, New York City. (laughs) He's like, oh, okay, well, you've been fucked by Trump for two years, so like, this shouldn't be a problem, right? You get fucked up the ass for six months. What do you want to drink? Uh, A gin and tonic? Oh, how original. And this bitch is just reading me. He goes after my body even. He's like, your nipples are too small and you have to start working out or you're going to get skinny fat. Three gin and tonics later, I'm finally feeling myself. And then the bouncer comes around and he says, okay, time to get ready. Saddle up, boys. And I didn't realize that like, while I was getting drunk with the bartender, like every other mayor had already gotten the bag over their head and was like in a corner, ready to go. So I'm like, oh my God, I'm late to the horse fair. Like, get your shit together. So I go over and I'm like, well, where do you want to tie me up? And they're like, okay, well, the sling is available. So I say, sure, that sounds great, comfortable, why not? They lay me back in the sling, tie my arms above my head, my feet below me, and they put the bag over my head, and then I I start clicking in. I'm hearing music playing on the speakers. It's Donna Summers, uh, like a techno remix of, I feel love, and I'm like, actually like getting into my senses, and I get harder than I've ever been in my life. And I realize there is nothing hotter than a new thing about to begin. The stallions start to canter in. (laughs) I feel them walk by me, a brush of air, someone touching my ankle, someone touching my knee. I'm so into it. And finally, this first guy comes up to me and he gets the poppers and lube out of my sock and gives me a sniff and then puts lube everywhere that it's supposed to go. And he pushes in and I feel this incredible sense of release and newness and excitement. And he's fucking me and I'm submitting to him. And it goes on for like 15 incredible minutes. And then he comes and he leans in and he says, Danke. (laughs) And with a bag over my head, I'm like, Rita. (laughs) And he pulls out and I'm feeling like this is gonna be awesome. And then I realize that I've made a rookie error because the sling, you see, was for advanced assholes. And immediately after he leaves, another guy pushes in. And then another guy, and another guy. There's a line of guys waiting to fuck me in the sling. And I can only tell the difference in guy between the size and girth of their members. And I'm starting to like, they keep feeding me poppers and feeding me poppers. Like I'm some sort of like weird energizer fucking bunny. And like, it's just getting crazier and crazier. And like, I'm really like going down the Alice of Wonderland rabbit hole, but it's getting to kind of be a hellscape and I'm losing my mind and starting to have like a panic attack as I'm being ravaged by stallion dick. And finally, I'm just like, oh my God, I think I'm going to lose it. And I say, no, no. And then I say, nine. And sure enough, the staff comes over and like unropes me and like takes me over. And at this point, they're like, what do you want? And I'm like, beer, cigarette. And I go and I'm now sitting on a toilet with a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other and my leg won't stop shaking. And I'm just fucking losing it. I'm crying. 
And I had this moment of like, wow, okay, if you want to leave, Philip, it's okay. Like, you did this. You faced your fears. You can go. And then I'm like, well, what about that sassy gay bartender? Like, I can't let her down. And so, like, as this plane is going down, I'm like, is there another version of reality where you take care of yourself, put your own life mask on before being fucked by everybody else on the plane? Like, can I make that happen? And so I calm down, I get myself together, I go up to the bouncer and I'm like, it's a little too much, can you re-put a bag over my head and put me somewhere a little less crazy? Sure enough, the bouncer takes me over to a corner and it's a much, much more leisurely pace as men come up and fuck me. I even get to know them a little bit, like I've touched this one guy and he has hair. I'm like, oh my God, hair? Wow, I've never felt hair like this. It's amazing. You had a good set of hair. Another guy's telling me all about his trip to South Africa, which I hear is really good this time of year. I'm getting to know all about these experiences. And then finally, the last guy comes up and I touch his face. And I swear to God, it conforms to the golden ratio. And I'm like, he's hot. And I touch his body and I'm like, oh my God, this is like a fucking Adonis. And now in my head, I'm like, well, he could be anyone I want him to be. Like, he could be my favorite porn stars. And so as he's fucking me, I'm like slotting one porn star in after the other in my imagination. And finally, I get a full body orgasm, as does he. We come at the same time. I say... Danke. He says, bitter. And I say, check please. As I'm getting all my stuff, the sassy gay bartender is like, oh wow, two hours and you give up already? I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah, I'm a loser. It's okay. I accept it, but I got what I needed. And I talk to the bouncer as I'm leaving and he says, okay, you can leave early. Just one rule. Do not look behind the curtain. Like Orpheus leaving hell but I'm a sneaky ass bitch and I love Eurydice. So I like go ahead as I'm like when the bouncer isn't looking and I peek as I'm leaving and I see hell, insanity. One of the most feral fucking disgusting, disturbing post-nut clarity things I've ever seen in my life. Like, it is carnal to basement. And I smell it, like, like my, my vision suddenly sinks with my nose and it's like feeded and rancid and just like lots of guys being fucked with bags over their heads. And it's the most disgusting thing. I literally get a little nauseous, like I'm about to vomit. And I just think, oh, why did you look? Why did you look? I go up. And in this weird amalgamation of both fantasy and reality, I step out into Kreuzberg as the sun is setting. And I think, okay, you did it, Philip. You faced your fears. Like, how do you feel? And I felt like I was proud that I had taken care of myself when I wanted to abort at the first possible moment. And I thought, Okay, well, you live by extremes, you know, go big or go home, but where's the middle ground in all this, right? Like, is it just that you're in Berlin, you're the sexy free person, or are you going to bring any of this home to New York City? And I thought, is this what really scares you? Or is intimacy and actually being in a long-term committed relationship what really scares you? (sighs) Where you could be intimate about these kinks with someone that knows you to your core and isn't just, you know, Someone you can't see because you have a bag over your head. I don't know the answer to all that. And I haven't been kinky necessarily since I've come back. Although I did tell Kevin the other day I downloaded Recon, a gay-ass app for kinks. And I wrestled a guy and lost a week ago. So that was fun. I'm actually in an accountability group and my accountability is to be kinky. So we're working on it. And... You know, I don't know if I'll ever go and do another thing as crazy as the horse fair, but I did Google my name narcissistically recently, and Philip is ancient Greek for lover of horses. (laughs) So you never know. Thank you.
Hello everybody. I have gathered here today a bunch of items that when I look at them, I am relaxed. <laughs> I'm gonna start with the book light. I have the kalimba. This is a mini rain stick. Globes. Split flap displays. Okay, so my most iconic phones. This was my very first one ever. And I was a beast at typing on this thing. I can't tell you how many texts I sent on this. In the late 90s, I was at the height of my movie career. I'd already worked with Denzel Washington twice at this point. I'd been in Blow with Johnny Depp, and I'm fairly sure it was my co-starring layup that led to Ed Norton's Best Actor nomination for American History X. I love acting. Actors get to enter into a world of total make-believe, and there's actually a whole crew that's constantly creating this fantasy around them, Part of this fantasy is the stripping away of all the banal, normal things that the average person has to think about, like food and clothes, but even down to what to say and where to stand, and on the microcosm, sometimes even where to look, and they'll put a little X in tape so you know exactly where your eyes should go. And as you grow in stature as an actor, they will kind of develop a whole team that's there to cater to this fantasy to keep the fantasy going and one of the other things that comes with growing as an actor and importance of an actor is your trailer you start out in a honey wagon this is a trailer that's been kind of segmented into six compartments and they sardine you into these compartments and then when you kind of grow out of that and you've got some work under your belt you get a triple banger this is one whole trailer cut into three rooms and the journeyman actor you know who's been doing it for a while will get a double banger that's a whole trailer that's cut in half but you know you've really made it as an actor when you've got your own trailer so here i am doing a movie with mick jackson who directed the bodyguard in la story and I've got my own trailer. Check me out. But I couldn't even use the bathroom in my own trailer because I was 500 pounds. I had kind of made my bones as an actor, being the big guy, playing the sometimes lovable, sometimes disgusting, overweight, buffoonish friend. And that was fine. You know, if we go all the way back to my childhood, from the age of five, my parents had been restricting food and I got very, very good at sneaking it, at eating on my own, at cramming as much into me as I possibly could. And my weight was out of hand for sure. But when I became an actor, I mean, on a movie set, the first thing that happens is you, you have a catering crew making you breakfast when you show up in the morning. And then there's a past meal midway between breakfast and lunch and then there's a catered lunch and then midway between lunch and the end of the day there's a catered second meal and that's all before they serve you dinner if you work a 12-hour day when i got some money and found myself spending a lot of times on movie sets my weight exploded and 
there was a lot of shame associated with eating for me. So I would eat by myself in my trailer. Now, you might think it's kind of odd for a person with shame to be an actor, but being an actor was a shield. It was a buffer from reality. I could, I could imagine that people were looking at that guy from that thing and not necessarily seeing the disfigurement that I'd caused myself. This was my camouflage. This was my invisibility cloak. Don't look at me. Look at that person you saw in that one movie. That was my rationalization. Back to my single trailer. It didn't really matter that at 500 pounds, I couldn't fit in the tiny little cubicle bathroom at the end of my trailer because I was also a junkie. 22 years old, 500 pounds, heroin addict. I had uh, been given some Vicodin a few years before, and I loved it. This drug added another separation from me and reality. And when the Vicodin ran out, I had to buy Percocet on the street. And when that ran out, I eventually found heroin. And heroin was the magic that made me not care about other people looking at me. Well, one of the other things associated with heroin use is constipation. So I rarely shit, but I kept eating. So I never had to worry about using the tiny little cubicle bathroom in my trailer. Well, about a month into this movie, and I'd been planning my heroin really well. I would buy it over the weekend, do it throughout the week, and then re-up on the weekend. And I got to a Thursday, and I ran out. And I called my guy and said, I got to come by after work and get some more. And he said, no, no, I'm out. I don't have anything. And this is my guy, Javier. This is the guy I've been going to for a year now. And he's out. This is crazy. So I called this other guy, the pirate. He's the overpriced delivery guy. And we called him the pirate because he had a gigantic beard, wore scarves over his head and had a very raspy voice from years of drug use. The pirate was out too. So I'm confronted with the very pedestrian having to go downtown to cop drugs. And I get in my car after work and I'm starting to feel the first inklings of withdrawal. My skin is crawling. My stomach doesn't feel right. I'm just starting to feel generally more and more in touch with reality. And this would present itself in stuff like when I'm high on dope, I got my windows down and my music up and I'm happy for everybody to see me jamming out, you know, to Danzig or something like that. But now I want this cloak of anonymity. And so I'm windows up, music off. I'm never even going to stop next to another car. I just slow way down when there's a red light because I don't want a moment of getting caught in the gaze of another person. So I make my way to Bonnie Bray and Six, which in the 90s were the heroin corners, and, and they're out. And I'm like, fuck. I gotta go to MacArthur Park. I gotta get out of my car. I gotta walk around. MacArthur Park is like Night of the Living Dead. Those junkies don't eat. And... If they do, it's like out of trash cans and and I'm lumbering through the park, dripping sweat. I mean, just to walk from my car is like a, a, a real cardiovascular effort. And I'm wandering through the park looking for drugs and I so obviously don't belong there at my size and I'm, I'm having trouble breathing and I can't even stop and rest on a park bench for fear that I'll break it and wind up on my back to be you know devoured by the zombies i get to the bridge in the park where the drugs are sold and there's no heroin there either so back in my car back to the streets back to not stopping at red lights so people don't see me and i go down to skid row 
and there's no heroin there either. And I go to the alley off of Main Street, and there's no heroin there either. And I am fully withdrawing at this point and the night has passed by and soon I'm going to have to go back to work and I call Javier again and I say buddy I'm hurting and I need something to get through the day and he says listen I have something but it's garbage and I wouldn't sell it to you but if you want it you can come over and get it and I am racing to his house and I get it and I get back in my car and everything is telling me just do the heroin now but I'm thinking like no I gotta play this smart I gotta get to work and whatever effect this is gonna have on me I want it to last throughout as much of the day as it possibly can so I'm, I'm going back to work now with a little package of magic hopefully in my pocket and and I'm really sick at this point and I pull up at work and the very chipper PA says she's gonna walk me to my trailer and I get out and everything just seems like comedically far apart. She asked me if I want breakfast and I, I can't think about food right now. So I say no, but I'm clocking that the catering truck seems like it's a mile away. And the other cash trailer seem like they're miles away and, and wardrobe is very far. And, and the crew bathroom trailer is across the parking lot and I'm pouring sweat but freezing my skin hurts my stomach there's something terrible happening in my stomach and I get into my trailer and I get changed and you gotta understand that at 500 pounds it's like literally carrying another very large man on my back so getting changed is utterly exhausting but I do it and I sit down and I get my royal tinfoil out of the cupboard that I keep it in and I make a tinfoil straw around a pen and I make a little tinfoil plate and I put my black tar heroin on it and I start to smoke it and I smoke every last bit of this tar heroin and nothing has eased and at this point I skyrocket out of my chair and I want you to understand that I don't move very fast at 500 pounds but this is fast this is like Hussein Bolt fast up and onto the balls of my feet and I am clenching my asshole closed because all of that compact poop all of that constipation has turned to utter liquid and I suddenly realized that I'm never gonna make it all the way across the parking lot to the crew bathroom that has normal sized toilets in it. And I'm looking down the length of my trailer at this tiny little cubby hole of a bathroom and I'm realizing that I'm gonna have to christen this sucker. And I start to hobble towards the bathroom. I am trying to stand as tall and as straight as possible and I am clenching my asshole as tight as I possibly can because there is a pressure there that is saying we are coming out one way or the other and I'm moving down my trailer and I get to the door and I have to turn to my side to get in and my back and my stomach are rubbing on either side of the door frame and I feel the 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 cheeks of my butt gently push past the door frame which causes a little bit of separation but I suck it back in and I'm into the bathroom and I'm in the bathroom and I'm thinking I I I can't do this with the door open I've got to close the door though there's nobody else in the trailer the whole thing is mine but I feel that what I'm gonna do is gonna be so awful that I need the door shut so I lean forward a little bit and there's separation and I got to clench again and I'm holding it in as tightly as I possibly can. But as I turn, my stomach rubs against the sink and turns on the water. So now there's water on my shirt and I'm leaning forward and I get the door closed and now I'm confronted with the fact that there is no room to bend over to get my pants down. So I unbuckle them as quickly as possible and do a shimmy all while standing straight on the balls of my feet all while clenching my fucking asshole closed keeping that pressure at bay and I get my pants down around my ankle and I'm just thinking okay what's gonna happen what's gonna happen I'm gonna have to thrust backwards the area that the toilet's in is about a a foot and a half wide and it sits between the sink and the wall I'm at least three and a half feet wide and I'm thinking maybe if I throw myself back with enough force I will break the sink off of where it's mounted to the wall and the floor and push my way in and I throw myself back 
and I get about an inch and a half down and two inches back and I'm just there's an explosion and I'm stuck and I have shit flying out of me all over the wall all over the toilet down my legs down my pants and when it stops I have a moment where I'm thinking god maybe now maybe now I could have enough I have enough time and enough wherewithal to get across to the crew trailer with the real toilets but I look down and there's shit all over my pants and I let it go I'm in a three-quarter squat and I'm fucking shitting down my legs and I start to cry and then there's a knock at the door and the very chipper PA says we're ready for you on set and uh I don't know what to do. I have no separation from reality at this point. I don't even have my wardrobe. I don't have my character. I don't have my heroine. I am just a 500-pound man stuck in a bathroom shitting on himself. And I, I finally say to her, I had an accident. And I need wardrobe. And a minute later, there's a knock at the door. And the door opens. And the door closes and I hear a gasp at what I imagine is from the smell. And then I hear this wardrobe gal walk down the length of the trailer. And I kind of pull my shirt down and hold it down with one hand and open the door and I just say can you help me and she says yeah and she leaves and comes back with paper towels and cloth towels and damp towels and plastic bags and cleaning solvents and and new clothes and I get to rebuild that one layer that separates me from reality. And I get as clean as I possibly can get and I put as much as I can in the plastic bag and then I close that bathroom door and and now it doesn't exist. So I'm alone again in my trailer and I I tell that chipper PA that I've hurt myself and I need a doctor. And the doctor comes and there's a lovely dance that as a drug addict you learn to do with the doctor where you say words like sciatic nerve and pain threshold and and eventually I'm given a prescription for Percocet the whole time the smell in the trailer is not acknowledged and then my prescription is filled and I've got my pills and I eat my pills and I sit there and slowly reality washes away from me and i'm once again numb and i make my way to set where i'm shooting a dancing scene with rosario dawson i would love to tell you that that was my rock bottom but it wasn't it was uh, at least another year before i got sober and even that was trial and error then it was a couple of years before i confronted my weight but i have traded some bad addictions for good i found bicycle riding and lifting weights i've lost hundreds of pounds and i'm about to be a grandfather and as far as my career goes any worry that i had about being the jovial fat guy I just did a movie playing a jacked ex-navy seal and I was relegated back down to the half banger but Channing Tatum was in the other half so it wasn't so bad and I took a healthy shit in that trailer every day
This is Risk. This is John Lennon behind me now. And we just heard from Ethan Suplee. Man, a great storyteller. We have to have Ethan on as soon as possible again. You can find him at Ethan Suplee on Instagram. That was edited by Taj Easton, and so was that ASMR interstitial that preceded it. Ethan's story coach was David Crabb, who produces the Risk live show in Los Angeles. And the next one of those is on April 12th at 7 p.m. Pacific at Hotel Cafe. Then on April 21st, Risk is back at Caveat in New York City, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Both of those shows, the L.A. show and the New York show, also have live streams. You can always get tickets at risk-show.com slash tour. And in May, we're in Portland, Oregon. That's May 6th. And we're in Seattle, Washington the next night on May 7th. Tickets for those shows are also at risk-show.com slash tour. But if you live in Portland or Seattle, pitch us your stories. You might end up on stage in one of those shows. Everything you need to know about pitching us is at risk-show.com slash submissions. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash audio. Visit IXL.com slash audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our final story on this week's episode comes to us from the extraordinary Cambry Cruz. Cambry has this amazing memoir called Burn Down the Ground. And she created a wonderful comedy club and school up in Queens called QED. Cambry shared this story at our last Risk Live show at Caveat in New York. There's some mention of 
hefty violence in the story. It was so good to have Cambry back on the show after all of these years. So here she is now with a story we call My World. Hello, everyone. So it's about five in the morning, and I'm at one of those exclusive bottle service nightclubs somewhere in the meatpacking district. And I'm actually seated in a roped off VIP area of the club. And next to me is Mark Cuban, the billionaire. And he leans over and whispers into my ear, Cambry, when you live in my world, you can do anything you want. Oh my God, so gross. So true, fuck. Could I have maybe like 1% of that? Or maybe 0.1%, I don't know. This is overwhelming and who has time for math? I'm gonna go to the bathroom, collect my thoughts. So in the bathroom, I look at myself in the mirror and I said, oh my God, Cambry, you made it. You made it. Never again are you gonna live in a tin shed because that's how I'd grown up in a one-room tin shed in the middle of nowhere with no running water, no electricity. Uh, Well, we got a trailer for a little while, but it got repossessed, and we had to move back into the tool shed. We had no plumbing, uh, so we used an outhouse. And now there is a lady sitting outside my bathroom door waiting to hand me a breath mint if I need one. This is a remarkable reversal of fortune. But when I was a kid still, though, I knew one day I would grow up and I would move to New York City and be in showbiz. I didn't know that my best chance of doing that would be in an episode of Cops. And if I'd had a sitcom, my very special episode would have been a night the summer before I turned 17, before my senior year in high school, my dad violently attacked my mom, an event that I witnessed and intervened in, and uh, he ended up getting arrested. He didn't serve any jail time because the 80s, I guess. So that meant he was free to stalk us. We went into hiding. It was very traumatic and chaotic, as you can imagine. And my way of escaping my dad's world was to get married. So while I was still in high school, 17 years old, I got married to a 23-year-old sailor. And when he got out of the Navy and I graduated high school, we moved to his hometown of Akron, Ohio, which this was the 90s now. So without the internet, taking his last name and moving across the country, that was like a witness protection program. (laughs) I really feel sorry for the kids today. Boy, they don't know what it's like to just pick up and start a whole new family, you know? They've got the internet tying them down. So in Akron, you know, I was able to reinvent myself and I was free from all the fear. I was liberated from the fear and I was able to just reinvent myself in my now husband Rob's world. But I did get involved in the theater there, you know, regional community theater and stuff. But I also landed the best paying acting job I've ever had in my life. Assistant vice president of a bank. Yeah, it was a very good job, but I was totally acting like I knew what I was doing. And I was also like, I was a Midwestern wife and banker. This is not what I dreamt of when I put my head on my pillow on my bunk bed made out of chicken coop wire. This was not my dream. So I left Rob's world and I moved to New York City where I met Mark Cuban. And I met Mark the way you meet most people here in New York at a show. And now, uh, with Mark, it's six in the morning, the sun is coming up, and he wants to get the party going at a new location. And I'm like, no, I actually have a gig. I've got to go to the British Virgin Islands for this gig. I thought that made me sound fancy, but it was true. Uh, But I had to catch a flight at JFK. He had just set the world record for the largest internet purchase in world history by buying a private jet sight unseen on the internet. So his concept of like, you have to go to the airport to catch a flight, it didn't seem so luxurious to him, but I still felt like, you know, we're we're rubbing elbows or whatever. Uh, I am sort of in his world. 
Um, but this gig was on an island called Marina Cay. It's in the British Virgin Islands off the coast of Tortola. It's only eight acres large. You can actually swim or walk around it in like 10 minutes. It houses 14 people max at a time. Um, to get there, you have to take two planes and a ferry. So it's basically like a murder mystery waiting to happen. You know, Agatha Christie would dream of a location like this. Um, but on this island, a few months out of the year, Jose Cuervo rented it, and they dubbed it the Cuervo Nation. <laughs> uh, yeah, and they, they created their own flag, and they had a Pledge of Allegiance, and they sent an ambassador me. And I pledged allegiance to the Cuervo Nation, which at the time I was like, oh my God, does that mean I'm not an American anymore? And now I'm like, am I still an American or can I go to the Cuervo Nation now? Um, It was just a wild publicity stunt. And it really encapsulates what the early aughts were, you know, just luxurious trash. Paris Hilton, Anna Nicole Smith, the Cuervo Nation, and me as an ambassador is just trashy, but very fancy. Um, we, yeah, we were featured on an episode of This American Life and then Wild on E. So I had used a horse trough to take baths in and shared the same dirty bathwater with my parents. And now I had this private villa and an outdoor shower overlooking this beautiful British Virgin Island vista. It really was a reversal of fortune and it was an incredible chance and I, I felt... Like I had made it. Now, a couple of days into the trip, the prize winners came to the island, and I was hosting them for a couple of days, and um, there were no televisions or air conditioning or telephones, so we thought. Uh, So I had to keep them entertained and keep them drunk on Jose Cuervo. That was my main job. So one night, keeping them very drunk on Jose Cuervo, we're playing a very fierce game of butt darts. Have you ever heard of butt darts? Do you know what butt darts are? You take a coin, you stick it in between your butt cheeks, and you clench your butt cheeks, and then you waddle over to a beer stein that's on the ground, unclench your butt cheeks, and you hope that the coin drops into the stein. And if you do, you get two points, and if you don't, you miss, you have to drink Jose Cuervo, of course. So I'm waddling over with my coin, about to drop my coin, when the bartender says, hey, Camber, you've got a phone call. Uh, No, I don't. There are no phones on the Cuervo Nation. Clink, two points. And he's like, no, Cambry, actually, you have a phone call. And all the prize winners look at me, and we all have that same realization. Oh, nobody hunts you down in the middle of the night in the British Virgin Islands on a private island where you think there are no phones because you've won the lottery. Something bad has happened. And indeed, something bad had happened. Uh, My dad had tried to kill someone again. Uh, This time, which thankfully she survived, but this time he was in jail and he was going to face serious consequences. So I flew back to New York and I made some phone calls and I looked up articles like what had happened, trying to piece together the facts. And the night that I was out partying with Mark Cuban thinking I had made it, my dad was stabbing a woman to death. I had not made it. I had the audacity to think that I could hobnob with somebody like Mark Cuban and go to the British Virgin Islands and be some luxurious trash or whatever. But no, my dad was going to make sure I was in his world where I belonged. And all of a sudden, all that PTSD, you know, it came back. All the dreams that I used to have when I was a kid over the years... They all came back, and you don't have to be like a Jungian dream analyst to understand. Like, it takes no genius to figure out what these dreams meant. I was always the same one all the time. I had killed someone. The body was hiding underneath my floorboards, and the police were on to me, and they were going to find out my secret. And now, though, I wasn't going to run anymore. I wasn't going to run from my secrets I was in New York, the internet existed, so I wasn't going to start another family somewhere. I was here to stay. So I decided to try something different and just maybe pull up the floorboards and say, here, here's my ugly truth. This is me. And that's how I got involved in stand-up comedy. Because really, what is stand-up comedy but the trailer park of the arts world? (laughs) A place where I can really belong. (laughs) So I started telling my story, and I started writing my book, which was actually 10 years ago this month that my book was published, and 
Uh, thank you. Yeah. And uh, I was at a, a storytelling show at Joe's Pub, and on the bill was Molly Ringwald, and in the audience was Kathleen Turner. And afterwards, at a private party, Kathleen, she locked eyes with me, and she beelined over to me, and she goes, Oh, Cambry, I liked that. I was like, thank you. Thanks, Kathleen. Um, she started talking to me about how she's going to be telling the story at the same show, like a couple months later. She wanted my feedback and advice and how to go about it. Here's what she was planning on saying. What did I think about it? And I told her what I thought, and it didn't feel like I was an imposter. I, I belonged there. I fit. And so later, when I went to go see her perform, I was sitting in the front row, and uh, she started singing a song toward the end of her piece. She started singing a song, and she was looking, I swear she was looking right at me, even though the lights were bright, and I can barely see you guys, so I'm sure she couldn't see me, but I knew she was talking to me when she talked about how she had uh, all these ups and downs in her life and had made mistakes, but all of these things had led her down a path that brought her here to me. And I thought, oh, wow, that's, that's me. That's my song. I wouldn't change a thing. With all the ups and downs, they've all led me to me and to here and to you, where I wouldn't change that. And you know what? This is my world, and I can do anything I want. Thank you. is all for this episode folks this is johnny bristol behind me now and we just heard from cambry cruise who you can find at cambrycruise.com folks don't forget that the storystudio.org is where you will find the faculty members who are the story coaches who help all our storytellers prepare for risk. There's lots of opportunities over there. Two-day workshops, online workshops that you can take with other people, workshops that you can take just video classes that you can download and take in your own time. There's storytelling for business, storytelling for performance, storytelling for personal growth, and our custom-tailored corporate workshops. It's all at thestorystudio.org. And folks, don't forget to follow us on our socials on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're at Risk Show. Anything you need to know about Risk is at risk-show.com. You can join in the conversations happening about the stories on the show on the Risk Podcast Fans Discussion Group on Facebook or our subreddit over at uh, Reddit, <laughs> which is called uh, Risk Podcast. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Kevin Allison. And don't forget, you can hire me for one-on-one -on -one training. I'm at KevinAllison.com. Also, you might want to hire me for just making a little video for a friend, a little video message over at Cameo.com slash the Kevin Allison. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Yeah.
magician that I could figure out his card trick. The trick was if I couldn't figure out the trick then I had to go to the gay bathhouse. Well sure enough this twink couldn't figure out the trick. So guess what? I went to the gay bathhouse. Gay bathhouse. Ah, gay bathhouse. Gay bathhouse in 2010. Magician at the gay, gay bathhouse, gay bathhouse. I went in, and sure enough, it was Steamworks from Chicago. It looked like Elon Musk had designed a dildo, chrome alloy clean. You walk in, and the first thing you see is a man behind bulletproof glass. His name is Marco, or something gay like that. And he says you have to buy a membership. Why? Cause a club be a club, be a chess club with a gay bathhouse. You fork over your 30, and then you pick a room. You can have a single or a deluxe with a sling. With 25 channels, but no HBO Go. You'll have to catch up on Game of Thrones later. You walk in the first floor, and you take it all off. The first floor is the steam labyrinth. There's whirlpools, so much chlorine it stings your eyes. There's a reason for all that chlorine as the cum swirls round and round. You go into the steam labyrinth and it's like Bespin from the Empire Strikes Back Star Wars. And yes, you can find someone there who'll say he's your father if you want to. You go up to the second floor. There's two vending machines, one with condom and lube, one with snacks. No one touches the snacks. You can find the forest of glory holes, the den of slings slung from every orifice. Just whatever you do, don't go up to the third floor. It's a garishly lit gym with naked men working out on purple eggplant equipment. And if you look in the mirror there, you might see your true reflection, like a Treyu seeing Bastion in the Oracle's mirror in the never-ending story. Everyone is looking for someone just a little bit hotter than they And everyone's expectations lower as the sun prepares to rise in the east It was there that I had my first sexual encounter On the mattresses that got more action than those ones at Sleepies Gay bathhouse, gay bathhouse, ah Gay bathhouse, gay bathhouse On the mattresses that got more action and sleepies at the gay, gay bathhouse, gay bathhouse. The second gay bathhouse I visited was in Berlin. I tried to go to the legendary nightclub Bergein, but I looked like I looked, so they said, Nine. Instead, I went to the sex dungeon underneath laboratory. The first thing they did was write a six-digit number on my arm. You order with this, they said. This set off all the Jewish alarms in my head. A boozy holocaust? I went in and was naked except for my underwear and sneakers on the grimy floor. It was there that I found men pissing on men. Pissing from the beginning to the cages to the end at the... Gay bathhouse, gay bathhouse, ah. Gay bathhouse, gay bathhouse. In between each urinal, a man in a diaper saying piss in my mouth. Only worse in German! The third gay bathhouse I visited was called Der Boiler, also in Berlin. And it was boiler clean like Steamworks from Chicago. It was there that I met Mike from Calgary, Canada. He fucked me and he came in 15 seconds flat, left before I could finish and said, Love is dead. I was depressed, so I started to talk to people at the gay bathhouse. And it was there that I met the mountain. 
He looked like the mountain from Game of Thrones. And sure enough, we started to discuss Game of Thrones theories. Like, is Tyrion the third head of the dragon? Does R plus L equal J? And is the Night King gay like the Babadook? So wherever you go, find your gay bathhouse. Just watch out in Barcelona that you don't have your cell phone in your pocket while you're getting a blowjob because it will be stolen during the blowjob. Gay bathhouse, let's break it down. Have a cheese for the gays at the gay bathhouse. Have an A, keep the ass, the ass, ass, ass. Have a Y, why not at the gay bathhouse? Have a B for the butts, another word for an ass. Give me ass, ass, ass. Have a tea, thoughts are welcome at the gay bathhouse How about H, hooked on phonics at the gay bathhouse Oh, orgasm at the gay bathhouse You know you plus me equals calculus Give me S-E-X for the sex, X, X Now E, everybody's 